We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. And tonight we're going to do things a little differently for this recap, rapid reaction episode. Not going to focus too much on the Giants-Eagles game today, though. Talk a little bit about it, some of the things we saw. But we're going to actually take a little bit of a forward-looking stance, and we're going to look at, we're going to talk about how we feel heading into the playoff week right now. The Giants have a playoff game this week, and we don't know the time yet or the day yet against the Minnesota Vikings. We do know the opponent. It's the Vikings again, a rematch of a few years ago. I'm sorry, a few weeks ago, not a few years. Also a rematch a few years ago, I'm sure. And, you know, it's the eve of playoff week, and so we want to talk about how we feel going into this. So I want to start there, Nick, and I want to say this. You know, I feel really good about where the Giants are at heading into this playoff week. It's not and this was not how it was always going to be. There was a chance that we were going to make the playoffs, at least for me, Nick. There was a chance we are going to make the playoffs, and I was going to feel like, nah, whatever. You know what team felt like that two years ago when Tampa won its first Super Bowl with Brady? The Washington Commanders going into that game. That wildcard game against Brady, they had uh, Heineke playing at the time. That version, I wouldn't have felt that good about. I don't feel that way about the Giants right now. I feel higher than that. I feel a little bit more optimistic than that for multiple reasons, not just because of the offensive showcase they put on, against the Vikings two weeks ago, and because that's their first opponent. I feel like this team is actually starting to click and get right or get to their best level at the right time right now. And not only are they starting to click and get to the best level, I don't really believe that taking the week off like they did today is going to change anything coming this Sunday. We'll see if I'm wrong, but I don't believe it. I know there's some examples, you know, there, there's some very small sample size studies of teams that have rested their starters and they came out and the record after that hasn't been great, but it's like, okay, that's correlation. That's not causation. That's a big issue some people have, right? Exactly. They, don't, they mix up correlation and causation. We don't know any of the other factors with those matchups that they lost in the playoff game, right? We don't know anything. So many variables that There's would so go into variables. that. What we also know is, and this gets to my second point, I'm not only so optimistic about where we're at because of where the Giants were at in these last two games offensively, but also because of the injury situation. The Giants are going to come into this game as healthy as they've been basically this whole season with the expectation that Dory Jackson will be back, with Xavier McKinney playing again, with the expectation that 
Ojolari, it's fine. He just needed a week off for that basketball injury, as they called it, and he'll be good to go. Leonard Williams, he's not going to be perfect. He's playing through a big injury this year, but he's going to be fresher and better with that week off. Barkley, going to be fresher having a week off. You don't need him taking hits and grinding out a game right here. You give him, give him the two weeks. And so healthier, they're clicking as far as they have, you know, as best as they have. And one other thing is, after watching today, and, you know, partial, partial, you know, part of this probably, Nick, is the fact that Eagles may have took their foot off the gas pedal and not game plan that hard against the Giants because they were well aware Giants were going to play their starters on defense. And by the way, Brian Dable went, you know, music to my ears, Nick. He went all out in this thing. He didn't play a single yeah. starter. He didn't risk anything. He didn't risk a single injury in this game. And maybe the Eagles didn't game plan. But the third factor for me right now is, look, the Eagles didn't look that great today on offense against second string Giants. The NFC feel if it's not for the Eagles, the NFC feels wide open. Sure, the Niners are a great team, but they also have Brock Purdy in the playoffs. A rookie making like rookie can make mistakes in the playoffs, and I don't necessarily trust Brock Purdy to just waltz onto the Super Bowl right now. So those three factors, all in this, and and then obviously with the injury situation today, the Chargers who had already clinched the playoffs, Nick. Guess what happens? Bosa gets hurt in game. Mike Williams gets hurt in game, and they lost the game. So that was always the downside to playing the starters. To me, it was a no-brainer because of that. If we had played this game today, fought hard, lost 31-28, to 28, but we lost um, Isaiah Hodgins, who's not even you know at Mike Williams' level, but still a big loss, and, yeah. and Kayvon Thibodeau, for example, I'd be devastated. It would have been the worst decision ever. It would have been so not worth being 31-28 and losing to the Eagles, even if they won 31-28 today and beat the Eagles on a last-second field goal, but lost Ojolari and Hodgins, to me, it's a massive loss for the Giants. And that was always my whole point with it. So I'm going in with those three things working in the Giants' favor, and I feel really good about where they're at heading into this playoff run. I do too, man. I really feel great. And I definitely thought like playing the starters with something that I was okay with. I yeah. wasn't going to be mad either way, but I feel like as the week went on, and especially now that I know the outcome – I feel very comfortable with the fact that the Giants are going to have a fresh Andrew Thomas, a fresh Saquon Barkley, who I didn't really want playing anyways. And then Daniel Jones, who dressed for this game, who prepared for this game, but who did not see a snap in this game. And I'm completely fine with that approach, especially because we talked a lot, damn, about momentum, right? Like what if the Giants dressed all of their starters and they got blown out like a couple weeks ago? We didn't want that to happen. So let's air away from that. Well, mm -hmm. Giants went with their backups and maybe the Eagles did take their foot off the pedal a little bit, Dan but they made it a freaking game in the second half. And I think there is a little bit of energy. Like you have guys like Kenny Galladay who have been on this roster catching a touchdown, which could have been his last offensive snap as a New York Giants. We'll have to wait and see what exactly is going to happen with that entire situation. But Davis Webb lighting it up, man. Davis Webb has been with this team. Davis Webb is essentially like a coach player who's just been chilling on the practice squad. We all know the story about him possibly being the quarterback coach up there in Buffalo comes to New York to be a quarterback to continue his playing career. I just think the Giants really showed a lot of grit and it kind of is, I guess, a little bit of a microcosm of just who this team is under Brian Dable, just playing the Philadelphia Eagles ones, man. They were playing Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, that offensive line, even though they didn't have Lane Johnson. And the twos were playing them pretty well. They forced five field goals. Those five right. field goals could have been five freaking touchdowns, but they weren't because the Giants defense playing with Micah McFadden and Cordell Flott and Nick McLeod and players like that actually stiffened up when it mattered most. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I almost feel like everything the, the fans who wanted them to play all their starters in this game 
wanted to accomplish or wanted to get out of this game basically got it outside of they wanted to knock the Eagles out of the one seed, which is fair and understand. But they got the feel of we can compete with this team. That was the other side of what they want. They wanted to win and beat the Eagles, knock them out of the one. But they also wanted to you know, feel like we can compete. We can keep the momentum rolling. And I think you made a good point. They practiced all week, Daniel Jones and the starters. They still went through a normal week of practice. They just didn't play in the game where you can get injured. And by fighting and by playing the way they did with these second string guys, it planted a little bit of a seed, I'm sure, of doubt, at least maybe just with Eagles fans, but maybe in the Eagles' minds of where are we at with this offense post-Hurts injury? Is he just as healthy? If he's not as healthy, are we just as effective? Because against second-string Giants, like you said, that second-string Giants defense forced a lot of field goals, and the Giants gave away a lot of points, too. Let's be honest. They tried random tricks today. They tried a fake punt that didn't work, and onside then they tried kick. an onside kick. Like They yeah. just like said, F it. Let's just do what we know. And if they didn't do that, this might have even been a weirdly closer game. Like There could have been like a moment at the end for Webb or something if they didn't waste those two possessions, but they tried it anyway. And even with all that, the Eagles didn't score that many points. And not only did you plant that little seed, uh, doubt of seed in their minds, you also forced them to play their starters for a full four quarters. And I'm not rooting for injury at all. So I'm happy nothing crazy happened to the Eagles on the injury front. But it was a risk by them playing Jalen Hurts and all those guys into the fourth quarter. Anything could have happened. You saw, like I said, Mike Williams go down and Bosa go down for the Chargers today. That's awful for their playoff hopes. And that would have been the same for the Eagles if they got injured in the fourth quarter playing this game against the Giants that they felt like they could have been, you know, they probably felt like it could have been like the Bucks played their game. Like it should have been over earlier, right? We can pull Jalen Hurts and all these starters in the first or second, maybe third quarter. Nope. All the way through the fourth quarter, the Giants forced them to play these guys. Yeah, it was great to see. I'm, I'm actually really happy for these second string guys. I'm happy for Dane Belton, who, look, that guy had a really great opportunity ahead of him with Xavier McKinney suffering that ATV accident. As bad right. as that sounds, there was an opportunity for him. But against Houston, he surrendered that like 44-yard rush to Damian Pierce because he didn't know how to fit the alley. And then after that, I think he played against Detroit. And since then, I think we've seen him in 15 total defensive snaps. So just to get him out there, young player developing a struggled this season, intercepts Jalen Hurts on, I think, a third down situation in the red right. zone. Still a big play. It looked more like, and I didn't see the all 22. It was a really bad play by Jalen Hurts. But we know Dane Belton is a, I would say a master almost at tricking quarterbacks to think he's going one way and then undercutting and coming away with an interception. At least he was during his redshirt junior year at Iowa. He did that five different interceptions. Almost all of them were like that. I think one of them was on like a deep post. But regardless of the fact, I appreciated seeing a lot of those younger players on defense specifically who could be building blocks moving forward, get valuable reps in a game that they're desperately trying to win, even though it's not doing anything for the Giants from a seeding standpoint. That's a great point. And on Dane Belton's scenario, like remember we always talk about how, you know, progress with these younger players that you draft is core pieces or any in any round of the draft it's not always linear we've said that and a player like Dexter Lawrence has made such a massive jump in year four same Daniel Jones the same example there's plenty of examples I'm not saying Delton is on Belton is on the level of either of those two as far as what the jump would be and where what kind of ceiling it would get to get him to but at the same time like if he's down here right now if he's just a guy you know special teams can't really get to feel much and he starts to show in games like this they have more confidence to give him a chance and play more and then he can become you know what Julian Love was to this team this year at some point down the line or what Pinnock was to this team at some point down the line. And I think you made a great point. Even the games he played this season before he got benched, he had a good eye for the ball. He had a couple near interceptions. He had those plays where he was baiting the quarterback. That's just kind of the thing he does. And that's a valuable thing for the defense. And as far as the injury front goes, the Giants also got lucky to escape this one without any crazy injuries as well. Just um, Pinnock went down, but he said he has a stinger and he's not concerned about his availability for next week. Who knows how much he's going to play with with Xavier, Xavier McKinney back and Adori, but still good to have. And he'll be a special teamer as well, yes. one of the core special teams players. 
And it's something that you said at the top of the show. The Giants are going to be the most healthy that they've been since I don't even know when exactly because Xavier McKinney, who played last week, didn't play tonight. He's going to be back now. Adoree Jackson presumably will be back, right? He right. practiced limited fashion. You you would imagine he would be back. And now that gives the Giants defense another tool, an important tool heading into Minnesota because they have a guy, number 18, Justin Jefferson. The New York Giant fans know him really well. Now you can put Adoree Jackson on him. And look, he might not shut down Justin Jefferson, but it allows you to do so many, I would say, more important things and other areas of the field. Like, yeah, you could still bracket. You could still cover. Odori Jackson with two, which I'm sure the Giants will do. And I'm sure we'll talk about this all throughout the week. But there are plays where you don't have to put a Dory on him. You could put two on Justin Jefferson and you could put Dory Jackson on someone else to eliminate them as a threat. If, say, Adam Thielen is beating you or even like a TJ Hawkinson, or mm -hmm. you can roll coverage to TJ Hawkinson. You can just do so many different things instead of relying on Fabian Moreau as your cornerback one. So getting a guy like Xavier McKinney and Dory Jackson back, who we did not have against Minnesota, I feel like can go a really long way in this wild card matchup. The Adoree Jackson edition is bigger by far than any other. I think if you really boil down the the Vikings matchup for the Giants in this wild card round and why the Vikings beat the Giants a few weeks ago, there wasn't much to it outside of a few things. One, the Giants turned the ball over twice in Vikings territory, which was a big mistake. It was obviously a big factor in why they lost that game. And then there was one X factor, basically. There were two X factors. The Vikings pass rush did not do much against the Giants. The Vikings run defense was okay. It didn't do much. The Vikings run game, not so great against the Giants. Really didn't do much. It was basically just Jefferson, Hawkinson, and some turnovers that they got very fortunate with in that game. In my opinion, at least, I thought the Giants, you know, they won the yardage battle. They won the third down battle. They were they won the time of possession battle. They were basically the better team that day, in my mind, at least. And I know you agree with that, but they made the mistakes, and that's fine. But they also not just made the mistakes. They gave up big plays to Jefferson and Hawkinson. Now you have a guy on the field, Jackson, who can limit one or both of them. There's a chance we might see some snaps with Jackson lined up around or near Hawkinson. He can match up with Hawkinson potentially. They probably won't do that, but maybe Xavier McKinney can. And either way, you have a Dory Jackson on Justin Jefferson, and that changes, like you said, everything you can do. And it takes away, and take away because you're right, it probably won't take it away. I'm sure in his first game back from injury, he's not going to shut down Justin Jefferson one on one or anything like that, but it at least gives them less of a chance of that guy being as big of an X factor as he was in that game. Cause he really was, if we go back and watch the film in the game, which I'm sure we're going to do this week at some point, each of us individually, Nick, we're probably yeah. going to see that a lot of these big plays, a lot of these big third downs on these big plays in that game that flipped the game. were Justin Jefferson, the post corner routes, like just everything he was doing to get open in that game and making a difference in that game. What did he have over a hundred yards receiving, right? He had over 100 yards receiving, double-digit catches, and it All seemed right. like he got off to a slow start. But then like in the second half, it was just throwing the football to Justin Jefferson. And another key important fact when we're looking at the Giants' defense, the Vikings are going to be down two offensive linemen, one of right. them being Brian O'Neill, who is probably their second-best overall offensive lineman. Garrett Bradbury, I don't know if he's going to be back. He didn't play in the first matchup. That is their center. So now you're talking about a well-rested Dexter Lawrence. And their backup when, center is injured too. Yeah, and the backup center is injured too. Leonard Williams, you know, Dex is going to be over the nose in a one shade the entire game. There's going to be a lot of interior pressure. And if the Giants can shut down the run like they did in that first matchup against Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, who, like we said, heading into that matchup, not a big power gap team, not a right. big counter team whatsoever. We had Sean on this podcast who covers the Vikings say that same exact thing. And we didn't see them run any power gap, which the Giants could not guard. They just a bunch of zone concepts and the Giants, for the most part, shut that down. So now you're putting a ton on Kirk Cousins. Name one quarterback who has folded consistently whenever there is a ton of pressure under him in the league. 
who's the first quarterback that typically comes to your mind when you're talking about, I would say, above average football players? Yeah, Cousins is definitely up there. So that's just another check mark in the Giants' direction. And I don't yeah. think this is going to be an easy game. I'm not heading into this game saying, oh, the Giants are definitely going to win this game, but it's a winnable game. And we're talking about this now in January. If you were to say this back in August, we would think you were freaking absolutely crazy, right? Not only are you going to make the playoffs, but you actually have, like you said at the top of the show, a good feeling heading into a yes. road matchup against a team that has double-digit wins. I completely agree with you. Not only you have a good feeling about heading into this matchup, I really feel like you have a good feeling heading into this playoffs, given how the NFC looks right now. Again, like I do have a lot of respect for what the 49ers are putting on tape most weeks, but obviously we saw from Stidham last week there, there is a way to beat that defense. It's not impossible. If you can figure it out as an offensive coordinator and your quarterback's having a good day, you're going to have a chance to beat that defense. And on the flip side, it's Brock Purdy in the playoffs. I just don't know that I trust that yet. And then the Eagles look like they had a little, you know, kinks in their armor right now this in this week not a hundred percent and the brock purdy thing i think is a good point you have one of the best offensive minds in your ear if you're brock purdy and kyle shanahan but wink martindale he can dial up some pressure that can manipulate certain quarterbacks so that's yes. one thing that we can look at and another thing and that's i don't a know great point wink that's a great matchup for wink if it happens it, it is yes and the and that wink has the personnel to do so because you have the guys now on the back end with the dory coming back to cover and then you have Kayvon, you have dexter you have leonard williams you have right. hopefully these ojalari you have those guys up front that can take advantage of that i would say solid offensive line you know george kittle's going to be an absolute mess for the giants to deal with but that's obviously looking forward but the new york giants they have this other thing that historically is associated with the new york giants franchise and that is the underdog mentality because everybody's looking at the giants right now and i think on giants twitter we're pretty confident but i listen to a lot of podcasts and just forms of media from around the national football league everyone's like yeah yeah the giants made the playoffs but they're the worst team in the playoffs like they're not going to do anything like i hear a lot of that some mm. some people are giving the giants a chance just because a lot of people i think believe that the Vikings are frauds, but I right. do believe the Giants are still going to head into basically every one of these matchups, maybe not as much the Vikings, but if they are able to get past the Vikings, which is looking ahead as complete underdogs, which is akin to the 2007 season. That's exactly right. And not only is it akin to the 2007 season that were underdog mentality, they also were road warriors in both of those. Mm -hmm. Not not as much in 2011 because they hosted one playoff game, but then they were on the road for the rest of the 2011 run, including two matchups in Green Bay, uh, 2007 and 2011. So they were great on the road. They were great in the underdog mentality. I feel like that's just been the case with the Giants franchise for a long time. They've been a better underdog team. I don't know if it is tangible, if it is does translate from over time, like over a long period of time, it doesn't logically make sense that there is anything behind this but it does feel right they've been disrespected even back in 2007 now that i live out here in phoenix arizona that's where the 2007 super bowl was played early in 2008 the giants stayed in chandler which is like out in the middle of nowhere part of the valley like on the fringes of the valley the new england patriots their hotel that was in downtown phoenix that was where <laughs> everything was like the giants took that and being like dude they don't even care about us like right. all the media is in downtown phoenix and that's where they put the New England Patriots. They're putting us out in the boonies right here. We got coyotes in our backyard. It's just another chip on the shoulder. I hope yeah. the Giants get a bunch of those chips this week. Yeah, I do think so. I think that's definitely a factor in this as well. No one really, I mean, look, they're opening right now. I just saw it. They open as three point underdogs from Vegas. And Vegas fair. really knows this stuff. So it's not, 
they have to block out that because there are going to be a lot of people picking the Giants, I think, just because what you said, the Vikings are very fraudulent. The Giants basically almost beat them two weeks ago. And people like to go with underdogs that are yeah. realistic. And that's a good underdog pick if you're like outside of, of this bubble, just given all the factors. But still, they are underdogs. Three-point favorite is worth something there. Um, and so I think that will definitely play a role too in this game. But I am really intrigued by what you just said, because even if uh, what you said a little bit earlier, I should say, because even if Garrett Bradbury, their center, does make it back, Bradbury, one of the issues I had with him was always just size. Like he's not, even if he's in that game, it still might not be a good thing for the Vikings because he doesn't match up well against Dexter Lawrence. Not many centers do. Let's be honest. Like you, it's your, I don't know who does. <laughs> Most centers are undersized, but he's definitely more of the undersized type. The guy who's better for zone, the guy who moves well, that type of center. So I don't necessarily know, even if he's in the game, if he's going to be that much of an upgrade for them. And if Ojolari is kicking full health, Kayvon Thibodeau, Leonard Williams is full is better in better health than we've seen him lately. And I don't know if that'll be the case. One week might of rest might not be enough, but one week of rest might be enough. One extra week. I should say he's going to have two full weeks before playing his next game from last, uh, from last week until this coming game. And that's a four man front, honestly, that really matches up well against what's left of the Vikings offensive line Two backup, a, a, an injured center and an injured backup center, an injured right tackle. I actually think is their best player on the line over Dar. So I thought O'Neal was their best player on their line and he's not going to be back for this game. Now, Dalvin cook left this game with an injury too. I don't think it's that serious. We don't know yet. Um, I think he came back in he after he got injured and right then he left. Yeah, he came, he left, came back then left again or whatever. And when they I feel were like up. Dalvin cook has that Carmelo Anthony tree, yeah. <laughs> you know, where he's down on the ground. You think he's done. And LaShawn McCoy used to do it all the time too. Yeah. So yeah, we don't know. Great. I mean, I guess he'll be fine for this game, but, and that, that is one of their potential X factors, but either way, you're talking about a team that really doesn't match up that well against the giants front from an offensive line standpoint. So we'll talk about it more this week, but I would definitely be hoping that it's a little bit of a game plan, a difference in the game plan this week for what Wink Martindale did the first matchup against the Vikings versus what he's going to do this matchup. And as we've mentioned before, Part of, a big part of that is I want less blitzing in this game, and I want more of a reliance on that front four to just get the job done against this offensive line. And I don't think too much should change on the flip side with the offense. I hope the offense is just as pass-heavy against this matchup, just as aggressive with downfield oh, yeah. shots, because this is the time to do it. In a dome, weather controlled against the worst, if not the second-worst pass defense in the entire NFL. Absolutely. And we know the Giants understand that they could beat this team. Like you said, the two turnovers, the third and five drop by Richie James. There were just goal. 60 yard. There was a lot of things that went the Vikings way. And you could say, well, the Vikings put themselves in position for that. And I, yes, I do agree. But those types of situations tend to kind of be the bounce of the ball sometimes. Yes. And it could bounce in the giants direction. The giants should be confident heading into this game. I, I'm not going to question that whatsoever. If there's one, I think area that I'm a little concerned about, and it was something that was an issue early in the game before he was taken out of this Eagles game is Evan Neal, man. Evan yes. Neal at, at the right side. It's um, I think he surrendered seven pressures and a sack, maybe two sacks against the Vikings. Those were the the plays where he was working up the pass rushing arc, I believe. And Daniel Hunter kind of undercut him. So it wasn't necessarily him getting beat around the edge. It was him kind of just uh, over anticipating what Hunter was going to do. I think DJ Wanham beat him for a sack as well. Yes. One of their situational pass rushers. So he did surrender two sacks, but that's going to be, I think, from the offensive standpoint, because we know the Vikings defense has a lot of holes and they're exploitable. But the Giants at right tackle, I think the Giants need a big game from Evan Neal. They need a stable Evan Neal. He doesn't need to be just purely dominant, but just be strong on your double teams. 
you know, vertically displace those linemen with Mark Lewinsky, and then just trust your technique and be disciplined like you were against the Colts. You went up against Quidipay, who's a solid, I think, NFL rusher. I haven't studied him since Michigan, but I believe he's a solid NFL rusher, and he looked good against Indianapolis. But if Evan Neal has one of those destructive Evan Neal games, it could be an issue for the New York Giants from an offensive standpoint because we know their passing attack, even though it's quick game-oriented, has been clicking on all cylinders. That's a great point. He is a big X factor in this game because it's it's exactly what you said. It's not that they're pat- only that their passing attack has been clicking lately, which is true. It's also that that's what they want to do, right? They want to be able to operate this uh, against this matchup. There's no secrets. The Giants aren't going to come out, surprise us all, go back to 13 personnel, put a sixth offensive lineman on the field. <laughs> they're they're not stupid. They're great. They're a perfectly well coached team. One of the best coached teams in the entire NFL. It's been obvious to anyone who's watched the tape. It's been obvious to anyone who's listens to podcasts. It's now becoming obvious to people in the media who don't even watch the tape weekly. They just know they can just see it with their own eyes and feel it that this is a well coached team. One of the most well coached teams in the NFL. And when Brian Dable, if and when Brian Dable wins coach of the year, and he damn well should win coach of the year, not just for maximizing a roster that had like 25% of it tied up to dead cap and Galladay who doesn't even see the field, but in a lot of ways, and I did a thread on this on Friday, in a lot of ways because yeah. you just don't see this happen with fourth-year quarterbacks very often at all. It's so rare. Like People have said, oh, what about Sam Darnold? This is whatever, year three for Darnold, or maybe it is year five for Darnold. Yeah, but five, what yeah. about Sam Darnold? It's like, oh, you're talking about the three-game sample size from Sam Darnold at the end of the season where he looked pretty good for the Panthers? Daniel Jones just did it over a 16-game sample size. It's completely different than what Sam Donald did in these back half of games for Carolina when they were playing for nothing. This was playing for everything, take your team to the playoffs. And so the job he's done with Daniel Jones alone is why he should win coach of the year for me. Because, you again, you just don't – like everyone before the season was saying, you know – I want Daniel Jones to succeed. I mean, the non-believers were saying, I want Daniel Jones to succeed, but history is really working against us here. It's just, you just don't see a quarterback in year four randomly click and turn it on. And he did under this coaching staff with Brian Dable. So I think we're going to have that coaching edge in this game. That is something that I think is going to continue. But with that, like you said, it can be derailed fast by bad pass protection. Like the Giants wanted to come out and throw the ball against Dallas, I feel like in week three just based on the game plan of what I saw and a lot of the play action passes early on. And soon enough, they're like, shit, we can't do this because the fast reduction was so bad in that game. They weren't able to. And that's the type of thing you might have see happen. If Evan Neal does have one of those disaster games and he's had, you know, a few here and there this game, even though, like you said, the Colts was a good game. Um, it's going to be a tougher matchup this game. So I think that's definitely a good X factor to keep an eye on early on this week. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. And also, I just want to see Mike Kafka go into the bag of tricks that he's used throughout this season mm-hmm. if the quick passing attack is being limited at any in any way, right? Like that, those RPOs to the to this one side. Remember those plays where yes, Jones would go into the zone read. He would read the defender. If the defender stayed put, or if the defender crashed, he would read him. And then he would, if he was going to keep it, he would move around to his left and have that tight end just leaking out. Daniel Bellinger, typically, right? I feel like the Giants got away from that when Daniel Bellinger got hurt. We haven't seen too much of it since then. We saw it a little bit. I can't remember exactly which game it was in. But you can go back to those plays. You can go back to using Daniel Jones's legs like we saw against the Indianapolis Colts last week. You can use all of those. It's not something that was a huge part of the game plan against the Minnesota Vikings because you didn't need to because the Vikings suck and the Giants just were cooking them with their quick game. So I'm excited right. to see how Kafka calls this game. I'm excited to see how Wink calls this game because he was maligned a little bit for sending those two heavy blitzes on third and nine, third and 11 down the stretch of the game that led to the 61 yard field goal. So the coordinators, man, there's a lot of pressure on them, but these are two coordinators that I trust 
And that's, that's an excellent place to be in if you're a New York Giant fan. This coaching staff, like you said, this is one of the best coaching staffs in the NFL. And I'm look, I don't study every other team, right. but just looking at what, what the New York Giants did this year, I don't think that's a controversial statement at all. It can't be. It just it can't right. be when you have a team that has this many injuries and you look at what's left on the roster from both a depth and starter standpoint, and you then you look at the win total. And I know now they're down to nine, seven, and one because they lost a meaningless game. But you know, this is a team that won nine games with a roster that never should have won more than three or four. But part of the reason is they got really good quarterback play this year. And part of the reason they got quarterback play this good is because the coach figured out a way to maximize this guy's skill set and give him the best chance to have a good season. And that's exactly what's happened with Daniel Jones. And I think you're right. It goes down to the coordinators. I have more confidence in Mike Kaff coming out and calling a really good game against the Vikings defense than I do in Wink Martindale coming out and calling a really good game against the Vikings offense. But that's not a knock on Wink Martindale. That's more so that I trust the battle between that I feel like I have some enough respect right now for what O'Connell has done and what he does over there with Minnesota from a play calling standpoint and the games I've seen him call against the Giants and other teams that I know it's going to be a tough chess match it's like when Kellen Moore plays Wink Martindale this year like he lost those he was 0 for 2 against Moore this year Wink Vikings defense struggles right like they have some names that everyone knows but they they're not great the Vikings offense have some superstars and Dalvin Cook, who we're not even that worried about, but yes. we maybe should be, you know, but he's still I'm a freaking about him in the screen game. player. That's where I'm worried about. Yeah, exactly. The screen game, it's a phenomenal screen game. And then Justin Jefferson, and then like guys like TJ Hawkinson, who you don't think of him as a superstar, but name me five tight ends who are more dangerous than him as a receiving threat in the league. And I'll he just crushed the Giants two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And he just killed the Giants a couple weeks ago. So they have some weapons that the Giants must obviously, or they know are very dangerous firsthand. I'm glad, man, these teams played not that long ago, though. And I know the yeah. Giants lost that game, but Dan, bro, like that was one of those games that after the loss, we were like, look, it's a loss. I get it. But I think you even deemed it a moral victory. And then all of our favorite Vikings fans just killed us in the YouTube comments. Yeah, they didn't like that. We called it. I think that it wasn't even that I deemed it a moral victory. It was just that that was kind of basically like, yeah, we kind of outplayed them. <laughs> the Giants kind of outplayed them. Yeah. yeah, completely honest. That's what anyone should have really seen. Any objective person could say it. Like, it's not like they crushed them or anything. The Giants, they oh, should have won the game. But push comes to shove. They turned the ball over twice in scoring position. Right. And, you know. They played a better game that game, and we'll see what happens in the second matchup. It's always going to be different, but we have more to. We'll be talking about that all week, Nick. Let's wrap up here by talking a little bit about today's game and just anything else that stood out to you. I'll say this: the Galladay touchdown catch. I'll start with this. That was a phenomenal catch, and I'm wondering: do you think there's any chance that that's something that the coaches will see on film and be like, maybe we do mix him in for Slayton a little bit this game? I don't think they're going to want to take Hodgins off the field. And I know they're not going to take Richie James off the field because Richie James plays a role that they need him to play. And it's weird to say, but honestly, as crazy as this sounds, Giants fans might, some Giants fans will be like, this is insane. But Richie James is somehow like one of the more valuable pieces on this, on for this playoff run. Like he's one of the more inaffordable injuries we can afford to, or that's a weird way to say that. It's one of the injuries we can't afford to have basically because Slayton can't really play that role. Hodgins definitely can't play that role. And Galladay can't play that role. They've had injuries to Shepard injuries and injury to Wandale Robinson. They don't really have anyone to play that role. So they kind of need him to stay healthy. So I don't think they're taking him off the field, but I wonder if there are some snaps for Galladay over Slayton now, or there are some snaps for Galladay even over Hodgins, because maybe in the red zone, you do give him a ball like that in the playoffs and you see if he can go up and high point it, because that's what he did. What he, the touchdown catch he made today with Davis Webb at the end of that game, 
That's what we saw. It's a lot of the good stuff we saw when we watched this tape in 2019. And we said, this is a free agent edition where we, we mean Nick and I got a little bit fooled by this one. We'll, we'll be honest. We'll be the first to say it. It's hard not to get optimistic about a free agent signing. I'm sure for the rest of time, I'll be optimistic about all giants free agent signings. And then most of them will burn because that's just how NFL free agency works. But what he did in that on that touchdown catch is a lot of the good in what we saw in him coming in. And I don't know if that's necessarily gone anymore when I watch him go up high point a catch like that and then come down with it. He's not the same player that he no, was. No, of course he's not the same player. Yeah. Yeah. He he doesn't accelerate out of his brakes like he yeah. used to. This was just a, basically a vertical route. I don't know if there was a double move element to it. Well, not much separation either. No, and he just made a contested catch. And he can do that still, but I don't want him out there for the likes of Isaiah Hodgins or Darius Slayton. And I'm yeah. wondering. I'm wondering how much the coaching staff trusts him because this is somebody who played what seven snaps last week against the Colts in garbage time. Mm-hmm. And then I think like maybe three snaps in the previous two games, like he's not getting out right. there. Sometimes they'll bring him out there with, uh, with uh, Marcus Johnson and different packages, but that's the only reason I think I want to see Kenny Galladay out there. I think if it's 11 personnel, it has to be Hodgins. It has to be Slayton and it has to be James who, yes, there's no true one there, Dan, but they complement each other very well in my opinion for who they are. I agree, and I think you're right about how they complement each other. The one exception I might have is in the red zone. In the red yeah. zone, I might be willing to actually, and I don't. It's on to the coaches. I'll trust whatever they do, but I might be willing to entertain the idea of removing Slayton and putting Galladay on the field in the tight red zone. Now Slayton had a touchdown earlier season against the Jaguars on like a go route from the 25. That's mm-hmm. still a range I would keep Slayton in, but as they get more condensed down there and they're running, especially now that we're getting these touchdowns from these like scramble plays where Jones is breaking the pocket early, keeping his eyes downfield and moving. That's when you want a receiver to present a target for the quarterback. A bigger target is better. And I also just feel like he has a better chance of catching the football than Darius Slayton does in those spots where Jones is scrambling. He's moving to his right. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And then a receiver's working back to him. Now he's a bigger target than Slayton is and he has better hands. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad take. And I would like to speak on Kenny Galladay's ability to block, which I feel like is really underrated. But Darius Slayton's is as well. And so is Isaiah Hodgins. So it doesn't add anything. So it doesn't really add anything. Now, you could say Richie James, but as you stated before, I think Richie James is invaluable to this offense, which is insane to to say right now in early 2023 but it's because there's no really replacement for richie james as you've mentioned like who would it be khalil pimpleton would they bring him up off practice squad if something were to happen what this pass offense is even doing is running through that specific receiver yes exactly and i think you can move maybe darius slayton inside i think some of those like those players might understand the roles enough but that's like the part of football that we don't really discuss too much it's you need to understand the role it's not just like an easy, like, well, I play outside, but now I'm easily can transition inside and I know exactly where I have to be at all times. It's not that simple. And I think that's one reason why we know that this coaching staff and this front office put so much of a precedent on your ability to process and how smart you are. And that's why we have these guys like Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins and, and players who just really understand where to be and when to be there. That's very important. I'm wondering how much of that Kenny Galladay has because we talked a lot about yeah. early in the season and it was very obvious in week one that Kadarius Tony was not up to speed with that playbook and did not know where to be. It was very obvious in week one and then he's no longer in town. Maybe Kenny Galladay, it's the same thing. I, I can't really speak on it. But the reason why I'm not declaring that is because we also know Kenny Galladay doesn't have the type of game changing ability that said someone like Kadarius Tony has who looked phenomenal on Saturday. That's fair. That's completely fair. Now let's talk about another player who had a good game today. Um, out, not just a one catch like Galladay did. A player who was really the X factor on offense today outside of Davis Webb, who ran and threw the ball pretty well. And that's Lawrence Gager. 
And Lawrence Cager is a player who has a different skill set than any tight end on this roster right now. He had some success earlier this season when they gave him opportunities. I mean, the touchdown against the Texans was really nice. I was watching that back when I was I was breaking out all of Kafka's red zone plays to just pick my favorites, my favorite play calls from Mike Kafka. And that was one of them that I put on there. But when I rewatched it, I was like, or that I thought to put on there. When I rewatched it, I was like, honestly, this was a pretty good design, whatever, because it it forced the defender who was in man to come all the way across all that traffic. But he kind of made his way through that traffic pretty well, the defender for the Texans. And Cater just beat the angle. Like he straight up just beat an angle that he shouldn't have beat by having athleticism and speed and a different level of juice than any tight end on this roster, including our best tight end. Daniel Bellinger, he's got more juice than Bellinger. So I'm 100%. curious if yeah. they watch the film in this game and they're like, maybe there are some packages again for Cager. Maybe, you know, we phased him out a bit because Bellinger's back and we like Vinette and Vinette can block. But, and we're going with more 11 personnel. So we don't even have two tight ends on the field. But maybe there are some packages specifically in the red zone where they get Cager back on the field and they let him be a bit of a difference maker or a different kind of skill set in the red zone. I 100% agree. If there's anybody from this game, even offense or defense, that I think might have earned snaps for the wild card that previously would not have earned snaps, yeah. it's Lawrence Cager. I think he had like 10 targets in this game, caught eight of them for 69 yards. If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah, yeah, eight for 69 on 10 targets. And they were all short to intermediate. Not a lot of them were vertical, but he looked good in catching them. I and mean, we know yes. he has those long strides. He's a former wide receiver from Georgia. Couldn't really crack the roster too much when he got to the jets, but we know the jets tight ends and that's what they did. They converted him to tight end. They got CJ Uzama. They got Tyler Conklin. They had like three or four tight ends ahead of him. So we ended up with the New York giants and you're right, man, early parts of the season when the giants, I would say, or middle parts, I should say when the giants were, I think trying to establish a new identity, they were running the football a lot. They didn't exactly know who they were or, or what they were really meant to do it was before they really started throwing the ball efficiently. Cager was that play action element who would like block down and then leak. Now that you are throwing the football efficiently and effectively out of 11 personnel, I don't think it's terrible to have him because then you can use, you know, some 12 personnel. Sometimes I'm wondering how the defense would play a player like Lawrence Cager, but you could still possibly operate quick personnel type of or quick game type of concepts now in 12 personnel with Daniel Bellinger and Lawrence Cager. And I think it's just another wrinkle you can have. You don't have to abuse it or use it too much but you have it now. And I think he's a player that is good enough to crack the roster. It's just who's it going to come at the expense of because someone like Chris Myrick plays special teams, plays like six snaps a game, maybe over the last couple right. weeks, if I'm not mistaken, Nick Vanette, a little bit more. He's at 12 personnel. And I kind of like having Vanette there because he is a pretty solid blocker as is right. Myrick. So that's kind of the, the push and pull of that conversation is who's going to get benched. And I also don't know for sh- sure right now, how much value, if any cager has on specials. Yeah, that's the other problem. That's the that's the interesting thing. Like, will he not even dress because of that? And that's certainly a possibility. And they may not even view what he could potentially offer on just a few snaps to be worth the downgrade in special teams. And that's the decision we'll find out this week. But it is definitely now intriguing. It's someone to at least consider them giving time to. Anything else from today's game that really stood out to you that you wanted to get to? You know, I want to watch some Jared Davis because yeah. I just saw 57 out there and I was like, it's got to be Jared Davis. You know, right. I'm like, that's, that's a number I'm not used to seeing every Sunday. Right. So I would like to just witness that. I know the one run, it looked like he had B gap responsibility. He filled B gap and it was the Boston Scott touchdown. I'm not 100% certain, so I'll have to go over the play again. But dude, it was like Moses parting the Red <laughs> Sea with uh, the combo blocks on Justin I Ellis know. and Henry Mondo, bro. Like they literally sick. got, it was like, 
it was perfectly executed that by the so well executed by the Eagles. They showed the replay on the replay. They showed the all twenty two angle uh, from the end zone angle where you could really see it, oh and you're just gosh. like, "Damn, this was just like a perfect execution <laughs> of a run blocking play." And of course, who was it? Boston Scott, his eighth touchdown in eight total career games against the Giants. Just an unbelievable stat and an unbelievable feat for him alone. It, but yeah, it really is. But we're not for everybody listening. We're not doing the all twenty two review of the week 18 game. We are going to be coming with you with a bunch of interesting content though, throughout the week, heading up to this Minnesota Vikings game. We're really excited about this. It's been since 2016. It's my first year professionally, Dan, covering this football team that the giants made the playoffs. That's awesome. I did 20 in 24, seven days. I did the 2011 or I'm sorry, 2016 playoff run, which, you know, ended abruptly. Eli had a great game, but at the same time, we had a shit ton of drops from the receivers, and it was like a weird And it was game. like a drama thing, too, right? It was a drama thing. There yeah. was a Hail Mary that changed the whole momentum of the game. Hopefully, push that off. happens, but Cobb it's a totally different off. scenario. What'd you say? Cobb pushed off. He did push off, but they're never going to call yeah. it in that spot. But all of that, with all that said, like we're going into this with, I, I'm going into this with a different feel. I think you are as well. And just yeah. to wrap, just before we wrap up tonight, uh, just as Nick just alluded to, we will not be doing the tw all 22 film review of this game. We might mix in some of our review because we're going to both watch it separately. If there are like players, like Nick said, like Jared Davis, we want takes on Nick Cager, uh, any of those players that might play in this game. Evan Neal, for example, is going to play in this game. We're going to probably have some on him. We'll give that throughout the week as we do other content, but we are planning to hopefully hit every day's worth of content. We have a lot of stuff we want to do looking forward to the matchup, but also stuff that looks back on like, for example, like why the Giants got here, how they're able to get here in year one, with Brian Dable, the, the main factors for that. And we're going to look at some of the best throws from Daniel Jones, some of the best play calls, all things that could maybe, you know, tip us off to what the Giants will bring back or what the Giants will do to help them beat the Vikings in this game. So keep it locked and loaded. We're really excited for playoff week. I'm slowing down at, at, in my main job with work, so I'm going to have even more time to focus on the podcast, which I'm actually really excited about, Nick. Um, so, yeah, man. And for everyone else listening, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Week Manager Podcast. You'll hear us again in your feed tomorrow. And so for now, go Giants. It's playoff week. 